Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Baffled. You think I'm silly, or maybe dangerous. Well, I'm neither, and I have none of the powers which I'm convinced that you have. It may come as an unpleasant shock to you, Michelle. But I'm not scared of black cats, Friday the 13th, or walking under ladders. As a matter of fact, every once in a while, I get my kicks walking under a ladder. Not strange at all, considering who you are. Welcome to Continuing Drag, the podcast that explores forgotten and underseen science fiction television. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan, and this week we're joined by a guest. What's real, Will? Hey, guys. <laughs> that was some delay there. What's real? What's real? That's our that's our catchphrase when we start the show. <laughs> usually, I ask Jordan though. Jordan, what's real? Uh, and he usually yeah, pauses. I, I just always like forget. You. Every single week, he asks me what's real, and then I go, "Oh no, I should have thought of something that was real." But it's okay. It's only been fifty episodes or so. So your reaction was as authentic as it normally yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's real is we're talking about baffled exclamation mark. <laughs> yes, the first show we've watched was an exclamation point in the title. I love it. So, well, I think you know a little bit about the podcast and what we do here. Absolutely. But, um, why don't I ask you a little bit about uh, your background do you, with science fiction television? Have you watched a lot of sci-fi TV in your life? Is this, a, is this a relatively unvisited genre for you? I don't think I watched any sci-fi shows. That's okay. You don't have to have watched any sci-fi shows. That's, what's, uh, that's, that's what happens when you come on here. You have to watch one, whether you like them or not. Question right, two. Right. How many sci-fi nerds have you beaten up? <laughs> I've never beaten any, anyone up. That's not true either. <laughs> <laughs> I've never beaten anyone up. I've never been beaten up either. I've had a couple couple close calls. I've been beaten up in hockey before pretty badly. Mm. But see I've that that, really seemed, that seemed allowed. Yeah, I have like I, allowed, I avoided yeah. I avoided a a a real beating in high school one time, which was wholly deserved because I had been trashing this guy <laughs> verbally for a long time. And then he, before an exam, he came to find me to beat me up. How many bros in high school have you tormented, Jordan? Well, he kind of deserved it. Just because his existence, story. his existence was just annoying to me, <laughs> so I was just always, I was just always like kind of teasing him, and he found out about it. Then he like came to like beat me up. But I had, thankfully, I had two much larger, more muscular friends with me, yeah. and 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 that that stopped the fight, and so I could just continue being the little smart aleck that I always am. <laughs> that's that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, his name was Jeff. Jeff. Is is Jeff going to be a guest on the show, guys? No. He's too busy drinking his creatine like he was doing in high school. I'd make fun of <laughs> him for that. He'd be in class always shaking it. His creatine? Gotta get big. <laughs> gotta loser. be strong. Yeah, gotta be strong. <laughs> anyway. I did watch um I watched a bunch of episodes of uh Stargate SGU because it was like my dad's favorite TV show and you know, if there was like nothing else going on, I'd go hang out with my dad and he would explain like how some of the people have like worms in their brains and like it controls them. <laughs> But and they have like swords that shoot like laser beams out of them, and they go through to like different dimensions through a Stargate. Luke, how come we haven't watched Stargate? That sounds way better than Baffled. I was wondering, can we get Will's dad down here quickly, or what? <laughs> <laughs> he would definitely be a great guest for you. So this week we've watched this show called Baffled, a Leonard Nimoy TV movie failed pilot. Had anyone ever heard of Baffled before? I've never. It seems like it's in this weird existence of post star trek careers we we kind of joked about shatner before and even roddenberry of sort of after star trek 
there doesn't seem to be much that happens. I know that Leonard Nimoy went on to become a pretty good director and directed some pretty large movies. Like I think his biggest movie was Two Men and a Baby. I think that was his. That's correct. That's his big hit. Um, and also a couple of the Star Trek movies and stuff. Like he did. He went, be, went on to become a photographer and all this sort of stuff. But in terms of like his acting career, I mean, he did a lot, but nothing that I think stands out. And I think this this is one of them. This was a standout in his career? No, I think it was not a standout in his oh, career. But yeah. here's the only thing I have to say with that is, isn't it weird to see him smile all the time? It I'm is so, weird. I'm so used to seeing him being Spock. I didn't, I never watched like a ton of Star Trek, but it was like the only reference I had for this film, like Leonard Niboy. And it was basically trying to watch Spock be a leading man. With like, with like a, pink turtlenecks on. Yeah, it was, it was kind of insane. I mean... I feel like they just named this movie after the feeling I had after finishing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And which is weird too. This thing baffled. No one in this is really baffled. Like we'll get into it, but like, they're like, they're like, Hey, by the way, you can tell the future. He's like, huh? I was like, I'd be like, I'd be baffled. <laughs> He's not baffled at all. Yeah. Uh, spoiler for everyone of my personal life. Will and I work together and, uh, Will was asking me all day. He's like, is Leonard Nimoy attractive? Is he an attractive man? I think I, I was he, wondering the whole time. I was like, he's he's got a unique look he's and he's striking. got confidence. But well, he had him. Him and Shatner were like kind of like sex icons in the '60s. Oh, really? Yeah. And and again, it was the beginning of like, wouldn't it be cool if these two guys, I don't know, if they kissed a little bit? There's a lot of <laughs> a lot of those drawings. But like, I think he has sort of striking features, like some other men in that time, like like Dustin Hoffman or Telly Savalas, sort of like guys that you wouldn't really think of as leading men now in the '70s. I think there's a little bit more leeway of kind of yeah. interesting features well that was the other thing too I was, I was i kept wondering i'm like how famous is leonard nimoy at the time he made this film like did he read the script or was he like i'll just take any job that's coming my way it's a good question i mean it's post star trek and that was a failure at the time right so this is like 19 i'll tell you when this came out this was broadcast january 30th 1973 but i think at this point i think the rumblings of star trek were coming coming back and i mean the conventions and things had had happened so I think I think people knew who he was, but I think he was only seen as Spock, you know. Yeah. So is that why he maybe gets a uh, science fiction weird psychic thing like this? Because they're like, well, maybe Spock's name will push this forward, yeah. or is it just like I need uh, a job? Yeah. I th- it's probably it's probably a little bit from column A, a little bit from <laughs> column B, you know. <laughs> this was a. I think you brought this up to me, Jordan, before we started watching. But I guess this originally screened in before it was screened on television was a brief film in theaters in the uk yeah so they they actually did film this in england um not where they say it is they i can't remember what the town is they say but it didn't actually film there but i guess as part of filming there they released it as a movie in theaters like four months before so that's why the dates are a little off on some of these you'll see it as 1972 sometimes 1973 but it aired on nbc in june uh, sorry uh january 30th 1973 but it was in uh in theaters before that i had seen it put down as a second feature in the uk is this like something that you'd go and see like a double feature and maybe this was just like you paid to see the godfather but if you wanted to stick around for the two hours you could watch baffled oh well maybe like it was playing at the drive-ins or something like that yeah maybe something like that i found a whole bunch of movie posters for it though not much for about on tv but a ton of the movie posters that were i guess plastered around england maybe it was a huge success we don't know i don't think it was <laughs> i don't think it was. i typed it into box office mojo but I- no, no, no box results. office. No box office. No, no results. 
before we get into it, I'm going to give us a little background because uh, this is something I like to do and I don't think anyone else enjoys it, but for some reason I do. I'm going to give us a little sense of what the world was like when Baffled originally bro was broadcast. In, in 1973? 1973. I, I went into 1972 a little bit because I figured it was in the movie theaters too. So, um, But here, here are the two kind of big things that were happening when uh, this was ha- when this show, when Nimoy was gracing everyone's screen. December 19th? Apollo 17 returns to Earth, and it's the final uh, Apollo mission. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the end of that first, I think, moon missions. Which is Apollo 11. Was No, was that the one that... Uh, that... 17, sorry, yeah. Or 13's the one that exploded. 13 exploded, and what was the one with Tom Hanks? That's the one. Oh, 13. Apollo 13? 11's the one that landed on the moon, right? Yeah, 11 landed on the moon. 13 was had a problem. And, se- and 17, they said, enough of this. And 17, they're like, well, there's nothing else to see on the moon. Let's, uh, let's all come home. Hmm. Um, and the other thing that was happening during this, it was the end of the Vietnam War. Uh, Nixon had ordered this uh, Christmas bombing of Vietnam, but basically bombed the Vietnamese into submission. And they signed a peace treaty shortly after that. And then uh, in between those two things, Nixon got reelected. Yeah. It, and it, it turned out well for him. Yeah. Baffled was coming out. Nixon was winning elections. What a time. And men were wearing um, the worst outfits ever. We'll say it now, but uh, what's his, I was going to say Shatner. Uh, Nimoy wears... Every every scene he's in, it's like, what could be a funnier outfit? One, he comes, he's wearing a pink turtleneck. One, he's wearing like a, a white leisure suit with like cowboy embroidery. And he's, he, he, I think he wears an ascot at one point. It's just, he just looks terrible. Every scene, it's like, you look ridiculous. But the, but, the white blazer was my favorite. Yeah. But yeah. everyone loves him though. Like the women are just like, yeah, he looks good. I don't know, man. I think he does look good. Do you? I, when, when we asked that question, I, my, my thing was like, I think he might be attractive. I'm not sure. We'll get into it. We'll get into we how talk, we asked he is. Hillary. We we asked Hillary what, our coworker, uh, what she thought, and she was like, "Yeah, I don't know." Like she was so so, and then we sh- we showed her the scene of him uh, when the leading lady opens the door and he's like leaning there with the <laughs> white blazer, the white blazer, and what was his line? I thought British people said schedule, <laughs> and she's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> but you've used that line before, right? Uh yeah yeah all the time. I mean I think that lean on the door frame when someone opens the door is a real power move. Yeah, like if you're leaning against the door frame, it's like I know I, I know I knocked on your door, but I don't have to come in. I can just <laughs> hang out here. I know he is. Oh, you caught me just out in the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> Making sure I don't get in. any marks on this white blazer. Got to be very careful. It has to yeah. go back later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. that blazer you're wearing like three times, and then that's garbage. <laughs> Well, by the time this aired, I guarantee that blazer was not in fashion anymore. They probably <laughs> shot it in 1971. They're like, guys, this is going to be the thing everyone's going to wear. And by 1972, probably no one was wearing this blazer. <laughs> All right. Well, let me let me do the MDB summary for Baffled, and then we can get into it. Race car driver suffers from visions where he sees people killed. An ESP expert believes that his visions will really happen. Uh, that was courtesy of Brian Vienne. At prodigy, prodigy.net. I guess that's the plot. But but isn't they, did they say an ESP expert? Isn't she just a bookseller? That is a good question. Because it be also, also, it makes no sense in this movie. Because suddenly <laughs> this, this woman just, we're going to get into it, but a woman just shows up and she's like, hey, want to be like crime fighters? And he's like, all right. And that's how it goes. Yeah, uh, she sees an interview on, of him on TV talking about visions. And then she takes it on herself to save the woman in the vision of this race car driver she's watching on television. Yeah. Yeah, I so mean, she might be an ESP expert, but that's that's Leonard Nimoy. He's in this show a race car driver, 
Nothing yeah. special or supernatural. He's just a man who's good at driving race cars. Uh, he's in the Pennsylvania USAC 500. What, what kind of racing is this? Will, is this F1 racing? I don't know anything about racing. I don't either. I thought it was Formula One. Yeah, that's is what that I thought too. F1, yeah. Because uh, it's not NASCAR. The NASCAR has like cars. Yeah, it's kind of got that car that's like skinny with a point, like a shark at the end, like a mm. hammerhead yeah, shark. Yeah, like a hammerhead shark, yeah. Yeah, I was like, maybe this is F1. I'm not really sure. But essentially, we kind of see him racing his cars, which is my favorite thing because every time you cut to Nimoy driving the car, it's just that classic 70s back projection. Yeah. Well, the actual driving around looks pretty good. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that looks like it's like real Smokey and the Bandit sort of like going around. But then, yeah, they cut to that terrible green screen where it's him. And he's moving a wheel like no one would ever move a wheel. I, I we were watching. Then Laura said that's because that's because it was before power steering or steering. But I don't think that's I don't know if that's what it is. I think it's just actors doing this. And no one can see what I'm doing, but I'm moving my hands real quick. <laughs> you know? Imagine Jordan is not just jerking off one dick, but two, one in each hand. But not in unison, like no, no, opposite. No, no, it's off. It's, like it's off cow. tempo. You don't do it yeah, off tempo. That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. You want to be in the big leagues? It's funny how like that you. We're watching like the the race car stuff and thinking like, oh, this is this is like not viable or not believable. There was so many. I was like, I thought that was some of the finest production value <laughs> we saw in the film. Yeah. I was like, okay, like you know, they got the racing car stuff. They got that pretty well done. And then for you know 1971 or whatever. But then as the movie went on, I was like, but no one no one read this script before they went to camera. <laughs> no, it seems like they ad libbed the whole thing. <laughs> it's. I think it's like a, I, I love how the producer is also the director and he just like, he must have just like Passion found project. a script on a coffee table and is like, and off we go to <laughs> it production. Was, it was holding up the coffee table. <laughs> it is a bizarre script. Uh, and this is certainly like the race car stuff at the beginning is some of my favorite stuff. And in this race, basically kicking off the entire show, Nimoy has a car accident i guess he kind of has a vision in the middle of the race which causes him to have a car accident yeah he spins out of control and kind of crashes to the side they then they kind of make it seem like it was a bigger crash than it was because he's like somewhat injured but he basically just like kind of veers off into some like hey that's about it he like back ends into a tree and then you see nimoy getting some sort of direction like you're dead and he just kind of like thumps his head to the side for it and then like the crew runs over and pulls him out and he's just like they're like Oh my God, that's such a bad crash. He's like, no, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm just like, what What happened? Because later, I actually, because what will happen is after this crash, we'll jump cut to him in the middle of an interview on television telling them about the visions he had when he crashed. Yeah, it's weird because they, they clearly want to get the point across to the viewer that he's now gained these superpowers through this crash. Like, how are we going to do it? It's like, well, he'd be interviewed about it, clearly. And so he's just on, and it's just, it was really weird. But it's, it's also a scene to introduce the other character. Do you know, what's her name? Um, what is her name? Fine question. Let me pull it up here. Michelle, Su- Susan, Michelle, Michelle Brent. Yeah, Michelle Brent. Yeah. Michelle Brent, yes. The, Played by Susan Hampshire. Yeah. The uh, rare books trader who, by trading rare books, has become an occult expert. <laughs> yeah. Which, but, did anyone else in this room realize it was about a cult until about five minutes to the end? Because I didn't. Maybe I missed it. But at the end, they're like, a cult. I'm like, what? She's, what? She says a cult a lot. Oh, does time. she? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I, I think that. I just stopped listening anytime she talked, maybe. <laughs> I just thought it was funny, like, she was a bookseller. Like, she could just be an occult-like person that sees the interview. Yeah, why why can't she be just a researcher? I mean, there's no reason that Leonard Nimoy's character needed to be a race car driver or any reason why this race car driver should be the recipient of these They have to have that race scene at the end. That's how you know he has a race car car driver. (laughs) That's it. 
did you uh, this comes up much later but did you catch the backstory for how uh how she got into her line of work no no i missed it she uh late in the show she kind of goes into how she got into the line of work. she's like when i was younger i was gonna join a convent but then i won a beauty contest and went to university <laughs> No way. As you do. I was just like, what? What is this apropos to anything? This um, show has really, really odd dialogue. And I couldn't tell if the actors were, it was like a mouthful for them or it was just really, really badly written. But every scene, it's like they did one take and thought, that's good. That's enough. I think it's a combination of just having really unnatural dialogue and then subpar actors delivering them. Well, there you a, go. With a director who uh, didn't do a pass on the script. Yeah. <laughs> Baffled! Exclamation mark. <laughs> uh, I like, basically, she sees him on TV, and we immediately jump cut to the inside of Leonard Nimoy's apartment where she's already arrived. Yeah. Like, there's no fussing around with how people get from place to place in this. She's just like, I got to talk to this guy about his visions. Cut. She's just sitting in his apartment talking about his visions. I'm like, how did you get in there? Yeah, there, there does seem to be a few scenes missing, but I, I did appreciate that they just wanted to keep things moving. Like, he's a race car driver. I uh, banged his head. He has ESP. All right, guys, move on. She's a bookseller. <laughs> She's down in his apartment. Move on. Let's just get it going. It's like, all right, all these details. Don't worry about it. It's going to, and it's like, because the payoff's going to be so good at the end. It'll be all worth it. I actually think that there is no stuff missing. It's funny. It doesn't work. But uh, we've watched a lot of these older shows where they'll just like drag things on forever, like literally watch someone get in a car and drive where they're going and get there. And this show seems to understand it's like the audience doesn't need any of that. We can just jump to the relevant information. It's just not good at executing that because it still gives you all the information you need. It's just like so jarring. It just jumps you so jarringly across time. And we, we find out, though, here that his name's Kovac because I think they say it like 40, 14 times in the in the scene. They like even talk about it because at one point she's like, is that Polish? Because she suddenly becomes my father. I has to know everyone's nationality based on their last name. <laughs> yeah, and he, was, it, he was like, yes, it's Polish. It was like, oh, this is this is not. They, they spend so much time on weird dialogue like this, but don't explain why a woman, just how, how she appeared in someone's apartment. Yes, his name is Tom Kovac, international race car driver. Mm-hmm. And now potential psychic because she's come there to basically convince him that his visions are real. She makes him like draw. Actually, we have not said this. Do you remember what he saw in his visions? He saw the castle, the woman screaming, and a hay wagon. Yes, exactly. And she thinks this woman's in trouble. So he, she's there to be like, hey, why don't you draw the house you saw in your vision so I can prove to you that you have psychic abilities? I love that because she gets him to draw a castle, and he draws it, and she goes, that's fantastic. And I yelled at the TV, it's not fantastic. It was a terrible, terrible drawing. It really didn't look anything it like... It didn't look anything like the castle. And she's like, that's the castle. I was like, oh, she just wants to spend time with this guy because it looks nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, she was very encouraging of anything that he said. She was like, he's like, oh, here's like a castle. And she's like, that's fantastic. And he's like, oh, I had this vision. She's like, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, she said to him, she goes, uh, that he had a rare and mysterious insight. That's what I wrote down. Oh, rare and mysterious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nemo, on the other hand, he doesn't really care about his vision. He really just wants to like go on a date. He keeps trying to get her a martini. Or at one point he asks her, uh, he's like, I know a great Armenian restaurant we should go to. <laughs> you guys, what's Armenian food? I did I did wonder that, but I didn't look it up. All I know, all I know about Armenia is the genocide. So <laughs> I was just like, I, I assume they're all laugh. We all laugh. <laughs> <laughs> genocide. I've just never heard anyone be like, you want to get some Armenian food? I'm like, maybe. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> I need to hear more. Well, uh, he, just, he just assumed because she was a bookseller that she's a classy lady. She has very diverse taste and she would know what 
Armenian food would You'll be like. You'll tell me what it is, Yeah, right? I'm assuming a lot of boiled potatoes. <laughs> it, it just goes to show how, we'll, like, if a woman is interested in what Leonard Nimoy is saying, he doesn't care what <laughs> he's saying as long as she's interested in it. It's like, oh, I had these visions about a oh, screaming lady. She's like, wow, tell me more. And he's like, all right. He says to her, he, 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 goes, he goes, you're a great looking chick. I like that. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about this today, too. There is a great line where... She's about to leave and he tells her, I've got the entire line here because I love, I love the entire line. He's just like, I like, he turns to her and says, I like you. You're warm. You're enthusiastic. And why shouldn't I say the word? You're a great looking chick. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I mean, weird. Yeah. There's this, and we'll, we'll talk. I know you're, you've, I'm sure you've written it down later on about <laughs> women's lib, but this is like a weird theme that's gone through all these shows we've seen in the seventies where there's this um, immediate feeling and need to, uh, defend themselves as to this attack of like feminism, and it it just happens in all these old shows. They're just like, well, you know, like I'm a man, so feminism, am I right? And it's like, what was happening at the time? Like, it just has to be in all the shows, and this one's no, this one's no exception. It's true, it's true. It's uh, they're very worried. Any film, any of these things from the 70s and 80s, there's quite clearly culturally like everyone's worried about gender roles and how they fit, and like they're not opposed to women's liberation. But they're they're a little confused by. It. Do you, do you guys think that it was like a defensive se- sentiment of the time that's expressed, or do you think it's just the director, writer trying to like put that movement in a box and like be like derisive towards it? Mm, I think it's a, definitely of the time. Certain shows we've watched have certainly wanted more to put it in a box than others. Like I, it varies from show to show. I don't know about this one. We'll get into it when we get to yeah. the line. Maybe maybe we'll do it now, actually, because it's not important. At some point when they get to this manor, they find out there's a broken old car that's named Gurley that Leonard Nemo is going to spend the entire show fixing. And because the car's named Gurley, this is when it comes up, is uh, Michelle Brandt. Is that her name? Sure. Michelle Brandt. Uh, Brent. B-R-E-N-T. Oh, Brent. Yeah. She... Says to Nemo, she's like, why do men always name their machines that, that serve them after women? And Leonard Nimoy goes, oh, are you one of those? And she finishes the sentence. She's like, uh, women's liber? No, no, no. I'm just open to many views. Yeah. Well, because you need the viewer to know that there's still a chance that he may be able to, he may be able to sleep with her. Because if she's one of these women lib people, they're equals. And that's just not going to happen. So they just want to pepper this in now. She's not one of those feminazis you guys keep hearing about. It definitely seems like the writer, by having her preemptively assure the viewer, yeah. listen, I know there are women livers out there. I'm not one of them, but <laughs> it is it is weird. And I think, to your point, Will, in this particular case, I do think maybe the writer was uh, trying to put it in a box. Yeah. There, there's, there were so many like views expressed that I was like, is this of the time or is this of the filmmakers? That I don't know. There's Probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Basically, what this scene is doing is setting up that... Uh, Michelle and Kovac are now like a team and they're going to go to Wyndham in Devon. Not quite yet. No? Actually, um, what this is setting up is that Nimoy has to at first turn down his powers because he refuses to go with her and sort of like, I don't believe it. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And I only mentioned it because it is maybe one of my favorite scenes of the movie because there's a brief scene where he's getting ready for bed and he's about to jump in the shower and he's stripping his shirt off and I'm just like, are we going to see sexy naked Leonard Nimoy but the phone rings and kind of distracts him as he walks past he walks past his New York City apartment building window so you see all of New York and as he turns around and comes back the other way they very cleverly like swapped out a 
image of this like manor castle, this Windham at Devon that he has mm-hmm. to go to to save this woman. And he has this vision, which is actually, I think, pretty well executed. Is he looks at the window and sees it, and he can't stop staring at what he's should be New York in this, but is, is this manor. And there's a slow motion, like, shot of him running to the doors and pounding on them. And then he's he's running in and riding a spooky elevator up to the top of this manor. And he goes out in this balcony and immediately falls off in this, like, falls down off these cliff shores into this sea in this, like, slow motion, magical, like, vision-y moment. And when he hits the water, he immediately wakes up on his apartment room floor just soaking wet. Yeah. And uh, he realizes he needs to go see Michelle Brandt because his visions are real. But there's no other time where he has a vision where uh, he has some sort of... Oh, the full l- interaction? Yeah, exactly. The, the He has, like, a lasting element on him. Like, the, when you see me someone stabbed, he doesn't end up, like, waking up with blood on him. It's just this one time where he gets soaking wet. It is a very promising start to the show that I don't know if ever, they ever fully gone back to. Because it was, it was the best vision, and it was, like, kind of weird and 70s and dreamy. And I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. I mean, I can't wait to talk about the logic of the visions so you guys let me know when we're ready to do that <laughs> all right we'll get into it Let, let's move on but yeah he has his vision he immediately goes and visits uh michelle brandt again brent again which is where we see him leaning against a door frame in a white suit jacket to like right. really wow her and we kind of know they're gonna go to england now and figure it out um figure out who this woman was screaming what's happening what kind of crime is being committed and how can race car driving tom kovac with his new psychic vision save the day it's also weird because they've set up this thing that if I was watching this in 1972 or 73, whenever it was, I don't think I'd be that excited to see what happens to this vision. Like, there's nothing that exciting about the vision. Like, you're saying you see a house, a woman screams, and you're like, as if you were going to be like, oh, I, I, I got to see why that woman screams. Like, who cares? Who cares? Go back to your race car driving. That's way more exciting. I don't understand why he did any of this. The only reason he would do any of it is because he wants to, like, sleep with this woman, right? I mean, you might not be wrong. I, that might be the uh, subtext of the show. Also, I mean, we jumped over it a bit, but I, I don't know if you guys pay, like noticed the opening shot of the film is literally a zoom shot. They're talking about being in LA and how they're like not they're gonna like leave LA behind, and then there's a zoom shot of like an exit to the airport, but it's in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did notice that. That's funny. That's amazing. Yeah, it was. Uh, there's so much like dialogue around the logic of like what the characters are doing and where they're going, but it's like always inconsistent. So it's like, why they're always spell cutting it themselves out? down. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. All right. We're going to get into this now, but I'm going to sort of go into this because they're going to head off to this manor at Wyndham and start trying to solve this mystery. And what we're going to get into here is just like a whole bunch of like supernatural ish who done it with so many characters and so many red herrings. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of go through all of the characters who are at this Wyndham Manor so that we don't have to talk about them all individually as we go. We can kind of just like scream through the plot. But like, let me go through all the people who are going to be like hanging around this manor that William, William Nimoy, Leonard Nimoy has to figure out who did what. And let me just say real quick, it was really weird that all these people are staying at this manor and then they all just want to hang out together. Like you think they'd just be staying there and then go off to do their own thing during the day. But it's like, I'm going to stay at this manor. Like then I'm just going to like hang out in the lobby and like maybe someone else will come by and we'll like play checkers. Like it was just really weird. It was like a, it was like they were in a weird fraternity. Yeah, I always found it weird that you would have dinner with like a bunch of strangers and try to make polite, nonsensical conversation. Oh, seems this, like seems like a nightmare. This movie's all about that. <laughs> Who would spend like a lot of money and time to go to just like they 
they hang out in a house LA and eat with strangers to denver yeah to then england to hang out with strangers so weird all right let me get into it so the first sort of group of characters we need to know about are the screaming woman and her daughter from nimoy's visions which is andrea glenn a famous actress for some reason mm-hmm. and her daughter jennifer uh they've been invited to Wyndham by her estranged by the daughter's estranged father who she hasn't seen in 11 years mm-hmm. she's only 12 years old so she's never seen her father and uh they're hoping uh, when they get there, they'll get a reconnect and maybe rebuild the family. But when they get there, he's nowhere to be found. And let me just mention real quick. I know it is because of plot point later on. But when you first see the little girl, she's dressed so ridiculously with the pigtails and stuff. And I was like, is is this how it's supposed to look? Is she supposed to look? like it looks like she's a teenager who's being dressed like a five year old. <laughs> but it ends up being a plot point. So I was like, I guess I'll forgive it. But it's weird. Yeah. Agreed. Also, sorry. How how like I know you guys try not to like spoil the. That's fine. It doesn't Where matter. This, this came out in 1973. It's all right. I know, but like you don't, you don't want to go out of order. Like I kind of, I, I was anyway. I'll just ask my question, and then you guys can cut it out if you want. But when the the mother daughter walk in to the little cottage where they think the husband dad is going to be, did you think that that old lady in the wheelchair was going to be bad news? Let's get to that. I'll real bring quick. up. She's right here on my list. Yeah. That the woman in the cabin is Louise Stanford. She's uh, the only relative of the dad, and she like lives in this little village, and they'll go and visit her when they can't find the dad. And she explains that she was the one who sent the letter because the dad asked her to, and like, oh, he's so busy with work, but I'm I'm here to make to greet you and make sure everything's going well. I'm sure he'll be along soon. She really is excusing the dad and like kind of welcoming them. But yes, to your question, she seemed very suspicious. Yeah, I think she she seems suspicious, but I didn't think she'd be, uh, like you know, end level boss. Oh yeah. You know, well, she's wheelchair bound. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the wheelchair threw me for a loop, but I just have like a. I wasn't sure if it was there was something like hint in the movie that just made me feel this way, or if it was I like general mistrust of like old British women that I have. I will say, I think at some point she does say someone says, and I think it's her. She says when they can't find her dad, that oh, it's probably because he has some super surprise he's waiting to spring on you. <laughs> like I was just like, oh yeah, that's never goes well. Yeah. And uh, uh, we'll cut this, but I was sure you were going to say your general mistrust of people in wheelchairs. <laughs> I was sure you were going to say that. No, I just find when like, especially, I don't know why it's especially British, but when someone is just overly polite for mm. no reason and they have all these mannerisms about them being polite, I'm just like, you're going to be bad you. news. Yeah, I'm you're going to be you. bad news. In this I'm period. on to you with your three different forks at dinner. Yeah. What is that about? All right. Uh, let's get into the next character. One we uh, really won't meet exactly um but the louis stanford brings him up when they're trying to figure out where the dad might be he the dad used to have a friend named john paris parish sorry john parish he's a bit of a creep and but he used to be good friends with the dad and uh, no one's seen him in a while but maybe if we can track him down he'll know where the dad is yeah that was weird because he really won't appear until the very end but people just keep bringing up it and they keep referring to him as a creep too which is like yeah very strange yeah, why is the dad hanging out with this guy? Sounds like. Yeah, I mean, sounds like the dad's probably a creep too. If they're, they're both friends, creeps. exactly. And then the mom married the creep and had a child with him, and she's hoping to hook up back with him. She made that very clear at the beginning. It is true. He has so a- it's like you're kind of, you know, you're not innocent in all of this. <laughs> I'd say you bring up a good point. Is the daughter's just like I haven't seen dad in eleven years. I can't wait to see him. Mom, do you think you two will get back together? And she's like, Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. No, it's not even like that. She's like, Oh, I think we will. Like she's yeah. clearly is waiting for them to get back together, like which is a weird thing 
I mean, just outside of a not very well written pseudo science fiction TV show, but as writing a character, like you haven't seen someone in a decade, you just assume like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll probably probably get back together. Yeah. She was like, I spent the last decade, decade getting famous. So I'm going to show up and he's been writing me these nice letters now, which turn out to be suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a weird one. I mean, you think after 11 years, you need some sort of parent trap at least to get them back together. Yeah. Yeah. There's none of that. No, no parent traps. Just a cult. And we got the Italian guy. Is he next on your list? Sure. I'll, I'll bring him up next. Uh, Signor Vorelli, or as I just wrote in my notes, uh, Italian stereotype. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> like he might as well be running around with like like spaghetti and meatballs in his hands. Yelling, like, mamma mia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, yeah. I thought it was very authentic. You thought it was authentic? <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a guest who's staying at the manor as well. He's uh, an engineer, or he claims to be an engineer from Italy who built all the roads in Italy. <laughs> Is that what he said? Yeah. He said, oh, I'm an engineer. In Italy, all roads run to my office because I build all the roads in Italy. And I was hmm. like, hmm. I don't know if that's how roads work. But but he didn't say it like that. What, what does his voice sound like, Luke? Oh, well, I can't do accents. You know that. A pizza pie. It was like that. <laughs> Pretty good. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for doing the accent work. Uh, and the only thing we really know about him is he loves his wine and port. Yeah. He's pretty uh, one note as far as the character goes. Yeah. Port was a plot point for... Oh, way too long there was a long period of time where i don't I, it seemed like they were trying to distract him but it was unclear why because they weren't distracting from anything and it, she, michelle just keeps asking him about port and he just keeps talking about port and i'm like is this going somewhere it wasn't we should mention this and i think we've talked about this in some previous and i, I think it might be a bit of the from the time period but and luke i know you're going to get back to your characters they spend so much time just wasting time on this movie for a movie that takes a lot of time um takes so much time on setting stuff that doesn't matter they don't spend any time on things that would matter like the actual mechanics of the story and that seems to be i think i don't know if it's just of this time period or if it shows that aren't successful and that's why but like you're saying they're like they'll talk for 10 minutes about wine where then characters will show up they're like why they're like don't worry about it we just spent all that time talking about wine that's what's more important here yeah yeah i had the same question in my head just about do they have to connect these dots because like, I guess like our, you know, we're used to watching films differently. So like we have like a different setting for, you know, montages and like natural connections that they didn't, but like there's, there's like good movies in this, you know? Yeah. There weren't all bad. So, movies yeah. So it's yeah. obviously like, I felt like poorly crafted. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I felt like someone was like, I'm writing a mystery. So I need to have lots of like, distractions but usually those distractions tie into the plot whereas this was just like uh, just distractions so you don't yeah. know what information is important because there's just so much boring information yeah like uh, we, we'll talk about the reveal at the end but even at the end i was like who are we talking about right now because it was just so many people and i didn't know who they're talking about and i was like uh, well, oh, okay wow that's amazing we are currently i believe three groups of characters into this show mm-hmm. i think i have three or four more people to go through to set up who is in this stupid manner yeah uh there's mr and mrs tracewell uh, a pair of newlywed guests who are hanging out at the at the manor with everybody they're very selling drugs on the side selling drugs on the side they're very cagey about what their business is and uh, at some point we'll find they have a case of drugs in their car and where nimoy is pretty sure these are a couple of drug dealers hanging out here he looks like uh uh this the guy in the couple looks like he's uh, one of the monkeys yeah uh, very floppy hair i i don't know if either of you noticed this the first time we see that couple they're trying to rush to catch the elevator in the manor mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. turns around she's dressed normally he is wearing a very short robe and nothing else yeah that's right i just assumed they were coming back from the pool that's what i thought too 
Oh, maybe. Is there a pool there? I've seen no indications. To well, the, the, there's an ocean. The, the place they're filming at clearly does not have the ocean behind them. But <laughs> but, but when you see it, but they tell you, yes, by the way, uh, don't look past the house. There's an ocean back that the ocean. But uh, yeah, I guess they have a pool, too. Why not? I don't know. I was just baffled. I was like, I'm like, wait, wait, who is this man? And why is he wearing no clothing? Did you say you were baffled? I was baffled. That's why the show is so aptly named, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Uh, next up, there's Hopkins, the butler. Don't worry about him, though, because at some point, Nimoy says, hey, he's a nice guy. Don't worry about him. And we don't for the rest of the show. <laughs> yeah. Why does he think he's a nice guy again? I don't know. He has one comment where they like they, he, they connect on some he just, level. It's just because the writer was like, well, we just want to get him out. So they're just like, don't worry about him. He's a good guy. Well, at some point, the owner of the place is going to throw Nimoy out. So Hopkins goes up to like see Nimoy at the door. And he's like, are you ready to go, Mr. Uh, Mr. Kovac? And he's just like, I haven't packed my bags yet. And the man's like. All right, well, I guess I'll pack your bags so I can throw you out. And Nimoy just walks away. He's like, hey, nice guy. He's packing my bags for me. He's like, no, oh, you're <laughs> getting tossed out of this hotel. Anyway, the that that guy pops up occasionally, but very clearly not important. I actually think when Michelle makes that like a meta wink at the camera, she's like, this time it's not the butler. Wink. <laughs> I actually think that is the line. Oh, okay. I, 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 have to, I have to rewatch it. I'll never rewatch it. And then uh, the final character I'll go into is the woman who owns runs the manor this little uh vacation spot mrs faraday mm-hmm. she's an older woman but she's uh she's pretty frisky and uh she is also always around to provide helpful information to force this plot to move forward yeah. it's also i mean again not to get too far ahead of ourselves but when you find out what she's actually intending in this film it's strange that she would accept all these other a guests to arrive as it, one of the master only makes yeah. her life way more challenging. <laughs> and and let, let me just throw this in now, and it's it's going to ruin a bit of a plot, but you find out through this movie that she's slowly getting younger. Yeah. But did anyone else think she actually looked younger? I thought she looked exactly the same. Oh, oh no, no she I thought she looked, looked good. Yeah, did yeah. she? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought she just looked like a forty-five-year-old woman the whole movie. No, they they aged her up a lot at the start. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh well, it's just me. You just think anyone over 40 is like hideous. I guess. I actually like kind of recognized it before it was even a plot point. I was like, oh my gosh, this uh, madame looks surprisingly <laughs> young. Good today. Yeah, <laughs> no, then... I did too. I was just like, whoa, did Mrs. Faraday get hot? Yeah. She did. <laughs> she did. At the expense of. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this is all the characters. Nimoy and Michelle are going to arrive here now and uh, sort of set up shop to kind of figure out what's happening here. And who the screaming woman is but they're trying to do it in secret there is there is an element that we're not going too much but there's a moment where they're driving into the london and it's a very dumb scene where uh she's driving and women can't drive so nimoy has to be like scared the whole time but they come up with some sort of plan where they're going to arrive separately for some reason yeah they they uh, it didn't make any sense because then because later in the movie the woman's upset about it but they both want to arrive separately so people don't think they're together and that they've just met for no reason. There's no reason. It doesn't change anything. But then later on in the movie, what's her name? Faraday's like, wait a minute. I don't like people lying to me. They knew each other ahead of time. It's like, what? Who cares? It's so weird. It's it's bizarre on many levels because A, the scene doesn't need to exist except for to show us that women don't know how to drive. And B, as soon as they have this whole plot to arrive in separate on uh, convoys and then immediately hang out with each other the whole time yeah 24 like hours together. a day yeah but then <laughs> it's the impetus for like the madame to like throw them out at the end 
but again, she didn't need to invite them in the first place because it only like it's like of course she wants to throw them out because she wants to get them out of their hair, but like they also didn't need to be invited anyway. Yeah. So I, it's like you could have said it's rooms full. all insane. Yeah. It's like a she brought it on herself. Yeah, she got greedy. <laughs> all right, self-perpetuating uh, horrible writing. <laughs> yeah. We get one of these first scenes where the guests all join each other for dinner, which you were talking about earlier, this baffling scene where they enjoy dinner <laughs> together. I'm going to say baffling all the time. Mm-hmm. Jennifer, the daughter, she excuses herself from the dinner because she's she's not hungry. Um, and the mom proceeds to tell them a little meet cute about how she met the husband while they were acting in London and their creep friend was there, et cetera, et cetera. But this is really just a setup because we cut away from the dinner and Jennifer hasn't gone to bed. She's snuck outside to a creepy old shed in the backyard mm-hmm. and waiting there is a man a man who says he's her father mm-hmm. yeah just in the line of uh creepiness as well the the mother admits that she met the husband because he was staring into her dressing room from across the hall from across the yeah another building. window <laughs> yeah. yeah so again just another example of how this mother is uh complicit in the line <laughs> oh, of creeps man. that are like tormenting her daughter I mean, she loves creeps, and she's uh, birthed herself a little creep. <laughs> Did you guys not get paused by that story of like how they fell in love? I was like, wow, that's so that's super. It, it, was seemed, it seemed fine. It seemed fine to me. <laughs> it was it was weird. You're not wrong because across the hall, and they get married. She says like three days later. Yeah, like it is quite the meet cute she's describing. Hmm. And but I wasn't surprised. She can't wait to hook back up with them though. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't surprised he left after the daughter was born. I'm like, yeah, he's uh, you married yeah. him after three days. He's a scumbag. But in this in this shed, he gives her like a weird uh, what do you call it? like stamp thing for like uh, stamping wax. What do you call that? Oh, a seal. Is he gives her a seal, but it's like a necklace. Yeah, it's like a little pendant, I think. A pendant, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he gives her, he gives her a little pendant of a wolf, and she sort of tells him, and he tells his daughter or the that he has to hide from their mother. He she can't tell her mother. That he's arrived because people are after him and he's trying to protect them. So she has to keep this all a secret. And there's a line of dialogue here that he tells to her that like someone grooming a child for like something terrible. (laughs) Because his line is, he turns to this little girl and says, you'll have to be strong in some ways. You'll have to give up being a child. You'll have to keep a number of secrets from your mother. Mm -hmm. I was just like, this is how you get molested. Well, they did. They, you did sort of think that might have been what was going to happen, but it's not. It's much more sinister. <laughs> the occult. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys know that the the wolf was a sign of the occult? I did not. Because every time that little wolf thing shows up on screen, there's like a. I mean, there's a lot of music doing a lot of work throughout the whole movie. <laughs> I I love the music in this. The music. <laughs> the music is so over the top, and we didn't talk about the opening credits, which are just like. A montage of stuff you're going to see and they go on for i don't know 23 minutes or so the credits and it's just the most 70s music ever in it and and then proceeds through the rest of the show oh yeah the like the fast zooms with like the like when you see the wolf pendant i was like okay so that's important that's important noted (laughs) (laughs) we get it i i've been watching yes i understand (laughs) anyway after dinner Old Andrea tries to track down her daughter, but she can't quite find him. And uh, she's wandering around the manor, and she she checks in with his Mrs. Faraday to be like, "Hey, have you uh, you seen Jen anywhere?" Um, Pucks her into this room, and uh, we see uh, Mrs. Faraday, and she's she's playing a piano, or as she repeat, clavichord, clavichord, as she re- 
repeatedly tells everyone. What I love though that it, it seemed it seemed like a scene that people were like, well, they're British, right? So like old things. Like what was popular in the 1500s? Clavichords. That's what she's playing. <laughs> like she would be playing a clavichord. She could be doing anything else. Yeah, I know. Like she could be holding a cat or making tea and then she's making co- like it could have been anything. well that's and the thing like there's, there's no reason for it it's so they yeah. can say clavichord and then later on be like was someone playing a clavichord they're like nope and that's it well that's that's what happens here she yeah. leaves when she doesn't know where jennifer is goes out to the shed finds jennifer's little uh stuffed toy comes back in to ask miss faraday again hey you sure you didn't see her walks back in and like there's no clavichord in the room anymore and she's like wasn't there a clavichord in here and miss faraday's like nope never been a clavichord in this house ever and it's a bit of a little bit of gaslighting is going on. Also, how do you also get... to no end. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what I mean. That's what I mean. There's like you could cut this out. There's there's no point to this at all. This it's yeah, not like, it's not not like it's this not comes a... up later that she just keeps doing that to her. Like like didn't there used to be a door here? No, like it, it never <laughs> happens again. She's just like one time she thought it'd be funny to pr- pretend that she had a clavichord. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that they go like from gaslighting to like hard poison <laughs> for, yeah. no, for no reason. It's like. Oh, we're going to make you think you're crazy. So everyone else around you thinks you're crazy. But like, no, just like straight to the poison, like two scenes later. Did you hear she thought there was a clavichord? Yeah. All right, let's give her the poison. <laughs> <laughs> it, the plan is coming together perfectly. Um, Do you think my like my hypothesis on it is that the director showed up? I'm putting a lot on the director here, guys. So I apologize to you. Can no apologize one, to the guy's name. We don't know. Yeah. No, he was he dead. He killed himself shortly after this movie was released. <laughs> but... For sure, he showed up in this location, saw the clavichord, and was like, "We're gonna work this in." Yeah, we're gonna figure out a way. Get to the use ads over here. Let's see if we have time. Target of opportunity. Let's get this clavichord in at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> we also kind of see now at this sort of after this brief bit of gaslighting, uh, she gets back to her room and her uh, Jennifer, her daughter, th- gives her a little prank. She uh, jumps out and gives her a little spook, little little fun little prank. And uh, she keeps calling her mother and, like, is basically not behaving like she used to. Like, she's behaving much more like a snooty, uppity teenager suddenly. And the mm-hmm. mom can't quite figure out why. But uh, she seems to be uh, growing up at rather quickly. And she looks slightly different. They've taken the pigtails out of her hair. And she has a whole new wardrobe that her mom didn't know about. Yeah. Well, that's it. The next She morning, went shopping overnight. The next morning, Nimoy and Michelle see her walking out of the manor. And she, I thought it was a different character. They're like, hey, check her out. And Michelle's just like, it took me three years to go from 12 to 15. And I was, I, it took me forever. To Best do. line of the movie. I was like, what happened? It took you three years to go from 12 to 15? I'm like, oh, you're saying she's old. Yeah. I didn't understand the plot point, but after I understood that she was, you know, being, her age was being robbed from her. I rethought of that line. I was like, oh, that's like the best line in the movie. Too bad it's going to fall. Like, too bad (laughs) you don't understand what's happening. You're right, though. I kept going back to that line. I'm like, that's actually a pretty good line. Yeah. It's very effectively portraying what they needed to. They just don't know how to implement it at all. Yeah. It's like she changed her clothes and aged three years and everyone noticed simultaneously. If only they knew how to shoot it so we understood that was what was happening. Well, they took out her pigtails. Guys, what are you complaining about? Yeah, pigtails in pigtails out clearly of age three years uh, pigtails equals puberty or something mm-hmm. like that's right she's gone all the way through puberty overnight yeah. uh she's not being groomed for anything weird at all it's totally fine nimoy and michelle at this point kind of take a little trip and follow her down to the ocean side where she's headed to because uh nimoy has a weird feeling she's up to something evil um and as he's walking out there he starts having a vision my it's my favorite scene in the movie <laughs> Is this is this the the white liquid in the red glass? Is that yeah. the problem? Yeah, it's gross. When, 
I just love him with his acting when he's like staring off and like trying to really hard to concentrate to get his vision to come back. And he's just doing this like amazing eye acting. And the the, the British woman who's just encouraging him incessantly, mm. you just have to focus. You have to focus. And she, he's just like, I mean, if you haven't already, please YouTube. And wait, I'm going to find the actual time code. So. Oh, don't worry. We will put this on the Instagram yeah. as a oh. as a moving video so everyone can watch it. Amazing. I already have it highlighted in red to put it on Instagram. Do you? Amazing. Um, <laughs> what was your guys' reaction to that scene? I I I enjoyed it too. I loved her her coaching him through it, like how yeah. to focus his eyes on the vision, and then all we get is like a, like a green leaf squeezing white liquid into a red glass. And I was like, all right. To what? be fair, he has very little to work with. He just has to like like the scene is him just looking constipated that's what he that's his acting he gets to do yeah. this is what is he gonna look like i like the visions though because they they do they're like cryptic enough and they're kind of like shot in a fun 70s way that i'm like oh these are kind of weird and like occulty i guess it's also another example of how the visions are inconsistent because in this like he doesn't ever use his like ability to refocus and bring the visions back you know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like, oh, we found out something new about how this vision works, but Don't again, worry about it. irrelevant. <laughs> well, yeah. and it becomes a plot point later on because later on he has another, like, they sort of, like, play with it. It's like, now he can, like, control things. Like, now he can't. We just wasted some time. This is the same as it always was. Uh, again, I'm jumping ahead, but I just can't wait to talk about it. The, uh, the red herring vision where he has a vision of yeah. the bloody... Uh, well, we can cover that now. Uh, obviously, we're trying to figure out who is perpetrating all these gaslighting and stuff, and senior italian stereotype is obviously one of the suspects <laughs> and at some point they walk past him and uh, nimoy has a vision while looking at him and he he sees he sees him covered in blood mm-hmm. um but then later he has a second vision and uh, which reveals that he's a butcher in real life so his vision is just telling him things about the world <laughs> that yeah. will throw him off the scent of the right killer <laughs> he wastes a lot of time worrying about this man covered in blood to realize oh he's he's just a butcher he's not an engineer who built roads he's a guy who lies about his job and then the moment when he's like i know who you really are he's a butcher <laughs> it is funny though that they they seem to the whole point of the show is wouldn't it be cool if there's a race car driver who has visions that's and you're like yeah that is kind of cool that's fun that's a fun week-to-week show but then they were like how do the visions work like don't worry about it they'll change from scene to scene and they're not like you think the idea is that he only sees visions of things that he may be able to change like premonitions of the future but that wasn't a premonition of the future that was just something about the guy yeah i mean <laughs> yeah it's just a factoid about yeah, it's just like well it's like a well, pop-up video is, yeah. is there gonna be an episode later on in the future where the whole time he thinks someone he's saving someone is like oh no uh, they, they're just a lifeguard they weren't drowning like, <laughs> exactly. oh, that was a good episode <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a great point because if he's driving like race cars and then all of a sudden he gets like a vision of just like stuff, some like someone taking their dog for a walk and he almost crashes, like it's going to be a really annoying vision that's like very hazardous to <laughs> really getting his racing career. Yeah, yeah. Um, but speaking of how these visions help, the uh, white liquid in the red glass this time, I don't know how they made this leap, but as soon as he figures out what he's seeing, he's just like, oh no, someone's trying to poison that actress well she uh she uh what's her face is also um an expert on plants michelle she's like he explains a plant to her and she's like hmm and then they go to like a greenhouse and she just she knows that it's a poisonous plant oh yeah she's like that plant it's a plant that's often used in occult rituals yeah (laughs) and they they rush off to stop uh poor andrea glenn from drinking this poison because now that she's seen a clavicard it's time to poison her uh 
And I love them rushing in because they're like, all right, we have to get that glass out of her hand. What's the simplest way to do that? And they come up with the most convoluted way of doing that. Oh, yeah. This is when he, he has to ask her for an autograph. And like, it just goes on and on. He's like, will you sign it? Oh, what's, do you have a pen? Where's this? And he like, during this whole thing, he knocks the glass over. And it just goes on for so long and is really weird and annoying. And even it's, it seems like the show was aware of that because Andrea Glenn basically turns to him after he's done all this. And she's just like, are you going to apologize? And he just tries to laugh it off. She's like, no, I'm serious. You should apologize to me. This is fucked up. I also didn't understand why she needed to be poisoned because even when they do successfully poison her, she's like sick for a few days or a day or something. And then she's fine again. And it's not like she wanted to leave or it wasn't like you would think like the poisoning was like a ploy to like keep them there. Well, the funny thing about the poisoning is clearly Miss Faraday. That's the owner, right? She wants to kill the actress here or that, that's what you find out that this whole thing is killing her. But like, but then later on they need a signature from her. <laughs> yeah. That so was like, well, if they killed her, then they would never get her signature. Well, that's the thing. And this yeah. poison, it doesn't kill her. It just incapacitates her for a couple days. Cause what'll happen. She doesn't drink this poison, but as soon as they knock this one over, Mrs. Faraday walks in and is like, Oh, orange juice. And she just drinks that and immediately gets poisoned again. Like they don't even stop the poisoning. Wouldn't it be funny if every scene with a woman, they just keep poisoning her. She's like, again, she's like, I really don't want to know. Have this juice too. And then she's poisoned again <laughs> for three more days. Well, and there's, after she's kind of poisoned, like Jennifer and Mrs. Faraday start hanging out. Like there's a weird scene where Mrs. Faraday or she's talking to Mrs. Faraday. Jennifer's like, hey, can you like get some boys up in here? I'd love to have some boys in this manner. Oh, yeah. Can you hook me up, Mrs. Faraday? And Mrs. Faraday at this point is looking younger. So obviously whatever's happening, she's she's stealing the youth youth. from this child. That's what's that's a plot point that isn't the plot. Like this show isn't about stopping a woman from stealing a child's youth. It never comes up. Like, it's just happening, but yeah, it's it not the weird, plot. Right? So, like, Mrs. Faraday has that one scene when she meets the bad guy, and she's like, oh, I feel so great. and Yeah, so young. I, yeah, you'll keep it happening, right? And, and they make out in the wine cellar. <laughs> yeah, very awkward make out. Maybe that should be on YouTube. Can I request things for YouTube? Sure, of course. Yeah. I love I love, I love that, that was it was a weird. That was a weird thing. But, yeah, I guess, like, so I guess that's what it, she's helping – this dad who's who's doing something to affect some plan and what she's getting out of it what miss faraday's getting out of it is she's getting youthful so i guess yes. that's her stake in it is she's helping whatever this evil dad's up to he's trading his i guess daughter's youth in exchange for it and and he wants money like and also i mean whatever <laughs> we, won't, we won't get into that yet either but i i mean to follow the plot point of the poisoning through the doctor shows up and uh leonard nimoy's character isn't willing to tell um the mom that someone's trying to poison her but will tell the doctor exactly what has given her this yeah making him look as guilty as possible yeah and then the the doctor's like i'll come to my own conclusion then comes back and like how did you know the exact (laughs) thing that was and then what was it what does he respond with he just kind of ignores ignores him and the whole poisoning plot line goes away yeah well the, he, he's the, like get out of here man and then <laughs> the doctor is just like ah, it's an accident anyway bye yeah <laughs> like yeah that poisoning subplot goes nowhere she gets better but it, it's really weird like the poisoning all it really does seem to set up is i guess nimoy and michelle start like i don't know what they've been doing they've been fixing that car up on that but they kind of start investigating because there's a scene here where michelle's like we better do some investigating. Why don't I go to London and I'll look into this John Parrish creep everyone keeps talking about, which you think is going to divide them up for a few scenes? No. 
she goes to London for like one scene for one scene and is back with Leonard Nimoy in the following. Like, it's like, why did you even bother splitting the characters up? Yeah. Is that like the night that she leaves? What happens that night? She's gone for one night. He's still fixing the car. He comes, she comes back and he's fixing the car. Is that when he falls off the cliff? Oh, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Cause she goes there and she finds out that John Parrish owns some sort of a cult bookstore that burnt down and, she breaks in and some helpful police officer catches her breaking and she's, he's just like, oh, hey, yeah, that guy, he died here. Don't worry about yeah, it. He, the, the, the police officer didn't seem to care at all that she was there. He's like, oh, uh, this is an abandoned, uh, dangerous building. And she's like, yeah, I'm just looking around. He's like, seems fine to me, yeah. as you were. How about a little plot information yeah. while you're here? <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. That's right. She's gone. And while she's gone, uh, Leonard Nimoy follows the little girl to the cliff sides in the middle of the night because that's what you do it's not creepy at all i don't know how he didn't see that being a trap but yeah he kind of follows her out and like she's like luring him like she's covering her mouth and like screaming help me help me tom kovac and he's like crawling he's like i guess going down this like staircase down the side of this cliff side to the sea like this is one of those english cliff sides where you had to walk down to the ocean and uh, at some point what does he do he like leans over on a railing yeah, yeah a, she a hides, super rickety looking railing. Yeah, she's hiding like below him on the rocks and is like, help me, help me. And then when he leans over to try to see, the railing has been cut and he falls over into the ocean. Yeah. But he falls like 250 feet. Don't worry, he's fine though. Totally really, it really fine. doesn't do anything. And also, we cut away when he's like in the water, like we think he might drown. And then when, the next time we see him, he's like back fixing the car. <laughs> yeah. He's totally fine. fine. Like, yeah. He literally does like he falls so far theoretically. I mean, I think you said this to me earlier. Well, like they cut to the person hitting the, the water and it looks like he just jumped off a dock or something. Yeah. But like it's like he falls off this huge cliff. No apparent way out. Smash cut to the next morning. Just fixing that car. Again. Well, it's because yeah. they had to follow up on the um, the vision that he had seen. Right. So they were like, oh, we got to get that part of the vision. Remember, he got really wet. Yeah. yeah throw that in there. It doesn't have any. There's it no is true though. that that scene where he like pretends takes a shower needed to pay off. And that's yeah. all that's driving that scene. I mean, if you look at that scene and you, I mean, obviously trying to break down the logic of the movie is unfruitful. And we all know this at this, <laughs> at this point, but when he's following her, the only motivation that the teenager has to like hurt him is if she's in full control by like the witch or the, the devil or whatever, the occult. Yeah. And if they are trying to hurt Leonard Nimoy, that means that they're aware that he's a threat to them. Yeah, they're onto him. So mm. now this person is like in full control of the occult by the occult. And then that Leonard Nimoy is like a threat. But then nothing happens in the yeah, next like rest of the movie that indicates that A, this like little girl is in full control of the occult by the occult. And B, they're onto him. Yeah, that they're onto him. Yeah. Well, she did try to get him wet. So that was something. <laughs> That 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 was just another prank she was playing. Yeah, like when she spooked yeah. her mom. He, she's very funny when she gets older. She loves to prank everybody. Mm-hmm. She hates her dolls that she liked the day before. That was the other aging thing. I don't need this anymore. I'm not a child. Oh uh, yeah. She's. Yeah. I don't need childish things anymore. I'm a grown up who wants boys in this manner. And to kill Leonard Nimoy. The one thing all girls want to kill Leonard Nimoy. Oh poor Leonard. <laughs> but this sets up. It's like it's time for a ride in the old car. Yeah, it's time for a ride in the old car. And uh, the reason they're going is unclear. Like, Michelle and him just seem to be going to get away from the manor for a few hours. That, like, they're theoretically investigating what they think is going to be a murder. But they decide, hey, you finally fixed that car you've been working on. Yeah, let's go for a drive. All movie. Let's go for a quick drive. And 
They take a little drive out to countryside. They stop to take a little chat on the uh, sort of like country road. And while they're chatting, some van comes out of nowhere and like smashes Gurley the car into a ditch or something. Like it all happens off screen. It's really Yeah, it weird. doesn't happen off screen. There's like a van that they go and inspect and then they don't hear a crash or anything like that. But like when they look over, their car is in a ditch. Right, right. That they, was they like don't five feet it. away from yeah. them. They, they would have it. heard or seen, but yeah. But whatever, the occult, you know. The occult. Nobody's in the van. Nimoy goes to like pull the car out of the ditch, I guess. And Michelle just like hangs out next to the van the entire time. And like the van door opens and someone just reaches out with a really long cane and just smacks her on the face. Yeah. Knocking yeah. her unconscious and kidnapping her, which is, I guess, a setup because he's a race car driver. I guess you need to have a scene that requires his driving skills in order to like justify why you set up. This is the only reason he's a race car driver. It's for this scene here. So it's like every episode he's going to be in like a cool car. It's be a cool chase. Like it just, I think it's just that time period. It's like, wouldn't it be fun if there's a lot of car chases? I'll, I'll say this. I really enjoyed this car chase. It broke up the, some of, some of the monotony of having to listen to people talk, just watching this van and this car. It's like a seven, a 27, it's like a 1927 Benz, I think. No, it's a it's um it's a twenty seven Bentley. Uh, yeah, and neither of these cars have any shocks, and they are ripping around off road. These things are jiggling, barely holding together. I thought that van was gonna fall over so many times. Yeah, it was it, amazing. It's this like insane off road crash that culminates in the most hilarious shot of ramming a car I've ever seen. Yeah, I think the idea is that Leonard Nimoy is a great driver. And he he does like a little like a slight little turn of the wheel, and then we cut to the actual like wide of the car chase, and it's this big dramatic move where this car is like forcing the van off the road, and it's right. no shocks, and then we cut back to Leonard Nimoy, perfectly still, just slightly moving the, the steering yeah, wheel right. to the right. I have another question about the car chase though. If you stay at an old English manor, are you're just allowed to drive the old like? Antique cars? That's just part of it? Yeah, I think so, because they make you dinner every time. It's, like, all-inclusive. Yeah. yeah, you fixed it up. Like, he never asked. He just took the car. He just took the car for a, for a very dangerous car chase. He, he fixed it up. Although, well, what did you notice when you were watching him fix the car? Right, right before the whole uh, woman's lib line, he's just hitting the rim with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's he's what like, oh, wrong it's all it. done. Yeah, hit it enough times with the hammer. Yeah, but then you get to take this old jalopy out and rip around off-road. I mean, that would have been a lot of fun. I would have loved watching that car jump over those jumps. A lot of fun. Anyway, very awkwardly rams this car off the road, saves Michelle. There's no one in the van now. This whole, like, kidnapping subplot was... Just to fill up another ten minutes of the show. Yeah, he needed he needed to drive the car. She needed to let him drive the car yeah. so that they would drive to the van that was just waiting there for them and yeah. irresistible to look into. So That's that it. they could they literally had to get in the car just to set up something. So a car chase that doesn't matter and has no repercussions. It's so crazy. But the but the Italian guy comes running and he's all sweaty, so he looks guilty. He looks guilty, but we know he's a butcher, so we, he's he's off our suspect list. There's a there's a little moment now after they do this. They just, like, keep trying to find ways to put occult stuff in. Like, they're having another, like, meeting. Like, him and Michelle have so many meetings about, like, what do we know? What are we, what are we aware of? What are all the clues we have? And they sit around talking about it, and they're talking about the dead dad or the dad who, where is he? Why didn't he show up? Why why did he invite them here? And he, Leonard Nimoy writes the dad's name on a piece of paper because he's tracking all of his notes. And he looks down, and he's like, oh, 
I wrote he's dead. I automatic wrote on this piece of paper. So I guess he must be dead. So we're not looking for him. Like There's just like all kinds of these weird things that are like, take him his name off the suspect list because I psychically wrote his name and he's dead. Yeah, it's ridiculous. There's there's a lot of weird stuff in here. Also, we learned that his, again, like his power is uh, not trustworthy. So, but he's convinced that this guy is actually yeah. dead. They are hor. I think we should highlight how terrible detectives that they are, though. Well, she does at least a little bit of detective work. He does none. He just sees a vision and then he like walks around and fix a car. She at least gets a bus and takes it. I know she also couldn't drive that old car. She goes to at least goes to London and tries to find something about people, but he doesn't do any detective work at all. No. I mean, they finally clear the Treadwells, this newlywed couple who they looks like have drugs in the back of their car. So they finally confront them about it. And what's kind of revealed is like, oh, we're just a door to door cosmetic salesman. Yeah. Who we didn't want to tell anyone that because we think this place is too posh for salesmen. Like it, it like they wave their hand and they're like, all right, wasn't them. They're just some regular old cosmetic yeah. salesmen. Yeah. Like it's, it's really weird. Like we spent all this time saving these characters and it's unclear what's happening. And then. They just wave them away with the weirdest explanations. It's 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 so such a strange way of dealing with this plot. Yeah, I feel like Leonard Nimoy showed up and they're like, "All right, we're gonna be detectives," and he's like, "Hey, hey, hey, I'm the guy with the visions. You're gonna be the one doing all the detective work." <laughs> they uh they do a little checking into uh old Mrs. Uh, Stanfield, the old lady in the wheelchair they were checking up on. They chop by her house and uh, ask her housekeeper like, "Hey, any anything weird about this lady other than this uh." weird that she's got like all these photos of the actress in this weird like what is it shrine she's built mm-hmm, to her yeah and he she also has a signed photograph of john Parrish in the shrine too and the housekeeper's just like huh anything weird i don't know she's only been here two weeks so yeah and this is like oh she's not she hasn't lived here as long as possible so uh, uh surprise <laughs> she's a bad person that that shrine was hilarious too because when in earlier in the movie when they go to that cabin the shrine's there and she's like oh it's the photos of you and she's like yeah why wouldn't it be I'm like, well, you haven't seen this guy in 12 years. Apparently, you got married after like two weeks, and he's got like this shrine to you, and it wasn't. A- yeah, not weird. Not weird at all. <laughs> not alarming. <laughs> they they race back to the manor because they're like very suspicious of this Mrs. Stanford now. And when they get there, they they hear a wheelchair riding the elevator. So they do the only natural thing when you hear a wheelchair on an elevator. You work your way down to the basement. And then you find a door that goes into the bottom of the elevator, like underneath the elevator shaft. And then you get locked in there. So you're now removed from the movie for like the next 20 minutes. Like, but it's an excuse to not use his power again. It was so weird that they would like hear the woman. They're like, oh, I hear a wheelchair. She's on that elevator. And they just proceed to go down into the basement and then get themselves locked underneath. I just I couldn't. I'm like, wait, why are you doing any of this? Yeah, it's, like, so insane and illogical and hilarious. Like, I was laughing out loud watching it, but I'm trying to think about how to convey over a podcast how amazingly, hilariously nonsensical it is. Well, it's like, there's still 20 minutes of this movie left. Our characters would know they should go confront her, but we need to stop them with some sort of obstacle. What if they just did the opposite of what you think they would do and get trapped in a closet for a bit? It's also clear that the elevator is going up and they go down. Yeah. And then they're under the, they're like, oh no, what if we get switched out of this elevator? I'm like, yeah, why did you go down there ever? Which was the least tense scene ever, wasn't it? When the elevator's <laughs> coming down, I was like, oh, are they going to get squished? Of course they're not. It's the slowest elevator ever. And then it stops for some Well, reason. it stops like six feet above yeah. their head too. Like it doesn't even come down that yeah. far. It's like, oh, well, I guess we won't get squished. We'll be okay. I know. It's like the second thing that uh, Mission Impossible borrowed from though. 
<laughs> the <laughs> elevator shaft and oh the, also, fi- the finale yeah. oh yeah. really owes mission impossible thing now that we've got them locked in a closet in the basement we've rushed the climax of like what's been happening to andrea like without our heroes anywhere to be seen but essentially jen drops by her sleeping mother's bed and says hey uh, guess what mom uh, dad's here i've been hanging out with him all week um and he's finally ready to talk to you you just gotta go downstairs mrs mrs faraday helps her out of bed and helps her onto the elevator and when they get to the top floor like of this balcony overlooking the ocean kind of what we saw in nimoy's vision andrea meets mrs uh mrs stanford again and she's she's in her wheelchair and she kind of reveals her whole nefarious plot like what this has all been about uh you want me to break this down for you yeah break it down because honestly all my notes are like i'm i have a note here i'm doing a really bad job at following what this mystery is because it's just it's so <laughs> they spend as much time on red herrings but not even red herrings like if you're reading like a raymond chandler novel or something where it all kind of makes sense at least in the world they've created these are just red herrings and time wasters and subplots that mean nothing don't make any sense and are just weird things that characters do just to kill time so like oh yeah by the way i know we just wasted an hour and a half of your time but here's here's what the mystery is all right yeah i think it is like this movie if you took out the things that made no sense or like were really unneeded to the like the storyline this is like a seven and a half minute movie. yeah yeah <laughs> this is like a bravo fact uh a little insider baseball that's a canadian short film <laughs> All right. It's no longer in existence. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. exist anymore, so it's very topical. <laughs> this is like a Bravo fact in 1993, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's what Louise Stanford reveals from her wheelchair. She says, the dad is dead. We already knew that. She says, she sent the letter inviting, inviting them here, and everything's been a ploy. That she's been gaslighting Andrea for the purposes of making everyone at the hotel think she's crazy. Which has not been happening at all. So that she can throw her off a balcony and it'll make it look like a suicide because she's gone crazy. But you're right. They've not mm. been gaslighting her. But like the one that, uh, what is it? The clavichord. The clavichord. That right. one time everyone said she saw a clavichord. Like, oh, clearly she's crazy. And she'll well, that's themselves. the thing. You that think they would have spent any time. I thought. They would have spent some time on that of, you know, there's a whole bunch. And maybe even the, the you know, a bunch of things are it's an old castle there's people coming in and out secret doorways all these things you could do to make someone think they're crazy and like they they sort of at the end thing like it's almost like a scooby-doo thing you know like who was it it was the janitor and he pulls off his face you're like oh oh, okay before she dies though she has to sign over some papers assigning custody of jennifer to louise before she dies and is it custody or the money here's the thing they posit two explanations there's some explanation at the end that maybe she was after Andrea's like vast acting wealth, which is weird. How much money can I like? I mean, you're rich, but you're not like a billionaire. But, sag, man. Yeah, the sag. The Oh, man, those uh, residuals, they really add up. <laughs> but this is what she says is what she's really after is Louise wants to take custody of Jennifer because she wants to exploit Jennifer's unusual spiritual abilities. Yeah. Which have not appeared in any way, shape, or form. And from this point forward, they'll be like, yeah, Jennifer's a crazy psychic that we need to get control of. I'm like, what are you, the, the little girl? What? Yeah. How? I know they're like, yeah, by the way, she's a psychic. And you're like, but but when? Why did that happen? Where? And it's like, no, no, she's a psychic. All right, move on. Yeah, this is what they're trying to exploit. This whole thing has been about getting a hold of Jennifer's latent psychic abilities. Yeah, but there is like one scene that they they bring it up, right? Like there's like a scene before where they're like, oh yeah, like you have it in your like blood or something. Yeah, I do remember this too. In retrospect, they were saying like her dad had these fits too or these these problems too. And I didn't 
I thought they were just referring to her being like a jerky teen. But you're right. I think what they were trying to... They were trying to set it up. A bad seating of this thing. Yeah, horrible setup for a... No set, payoff. Yeah. Um, and there's one, one final twist of this moment where uh, Louise stands up out of her wheelchair. She's not a cripple after all. Yeah. <laughs> what, a t- what, a, what a reveal. And she mission impossible at big time. Yeah, she like rips her uh, prosthetic face off well, to that's, reveal... That's it. She she she'll do this, but we kind of have to get Nimoy up there because he's still stuck in this closet in the basement. But um, essentially, what happens is they Nimoy and Michelle spend so much. There's so many cutaways, just like not being able to get out of the basement. And you alluded to this earlier, Jordan. She tries to talk him through how to like use his psychic abilities to like unlock the door. Unlock the door, basically. And they go through this whole thing. We're like, imagine what's on the other side of the door. I see a bolt. All right, now really focus on the bolt. And uh, Leonard Nimoy screams, open sesame, because he's such a joker. Um, and the door is still locked. But the Italian stereotype just happened to be walking by, so he just, like, lets them out of the closet. It's such a weird, like, let down. Like, they, like, build up this whole thing. Like, I mean, you're going to use your powers to open the door. And then someone just walks by and happens to open the door. For well, them. that was the thing. They, they set it up like they were going to build up that over time, or at least over the time of this movie, his powers were developing. And now, not only does he see visions, but he can actually can control things with his mind. Like, no, no, he can't. But we're going to spend a scene showing you that and then go, eh, just kidding. Just kidding. He still sees, he sees people's careers. I think, like, the director thought it was a hilarious joke. That oh, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of humor in here. Open that they, Sesame. And then yeah. the Italian guy's like, hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a hilarious joke. Yeah. Hey. There's, there's, there's the, the humor in this is hard to pinpoint. It's, they're not even jokes. It's just people kind of say things. And then Leonard, Leonard Nimoy kind of smirks about it. I'm like, I guess I was funny. Yeah. Anyway, Nimoy is out of the closet with Michelle. They're they're <laughs> running upstairs to like save the day. Along the way, they bump into Jennifer, who I don't know. She's just wandering around the hallways and and no, they, she's with the 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 person running. This is the this the part that I also like really didn't understand. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, go. What is what's the girl who runs the estate's name again? Mrs. Faraday. Mrs. Faraday and Jennifer and the and the daughter show up and Leonard Nimoy and like his detective partner are there and they're like hey stop and then she runs like the uh Mrs. Faraday runs away <laughs> and we don't see her we cut to her like she's in yeah, a, car a car driving later. away later but they, she just leaves this like who who she's been positioning apparently for like the whole movie is this child that she can steal the her youth from and she just abandons it and like the only thing that's doing her whole plot is like she just runs away from and then anyway sorry yeah. to cut you off well he, he like, tackles he tackles the little girl breaks the amulet seems to break her curse or whatever it is the no she doesn't he doesn't even tackle her it's like amazing that he can he only can touch it by crossing his arms yeah oh that's right yeah. and then so he he can't touch as soon as he gets about to touch the medallion that is con- mind controlling this uh girl he gets really close and she runs away because Satan has full control of her, but Satan is kind of a klutz and <laughs> falls on her way up the stairs. And when she falls, she smashes the medallion, thus freeing her from the spell. And then we see we cut away to Mrs. Faraday. <laughs> yeah, we see Mrs. Faraday who's just like fleeing the scene of the crime. <laughs> but then she's now she's old again because the so she got she got her in. comeuppance is what happens. Like, hey, you're <laughs> old. You might have got away, but you're old now. I have a question. We cut away to her. We see her look in the mirror. She's like, I'm old again. Oh, no. And we see the car drive off. Was I mistaken? I thought I heard like a sound design of a car like veering off the road. I thought they were trying to imply she drove off a cliff. 
Oh, I don't. I don't. I didn't. Maybe catch I that. read into that. I think she's fine. I think she's just the, old. She has the. She's old, so that's the worst punishment you can get. Osteoper- osteoporosis. 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 There's the word. It would have been amazing if she like got. She became a paraplegic, so she became the old woman in the wheelchair for real. <laughs> that the other her you know, co-conspirator you know was. That actually would have been better. At least there'd been some sort of like. I guess that came full circle. There yeah. always has to be a lady in a wheelchair, but. It's not. It's Mission Impossible pulling your face off. Anyway, yeah. that yeah, that wraps up Jennifer's plot. They save her from her succubus, this lady stealing her life, which was not the main plot at all. Just a weird side plot. Nemo runs upstairs. He sees this old woman, Mrs. Stanford, like menacing the actress. And the two of them get in a physical fight where I was like blown away because I'm like, oh, this old lady is beating the shit out of <laughs> Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. For an extended period of time, they have a physical fight until finally... Leonard Nimoy tears off her face. <laughs> and it's Parrish. And it's this old John Parrish, the creep. It's been him all along because he's such a good actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is the performance of his life. It's a hell of a performance, you guys. The, they fight a little bit longer. I like the fight only because at some point like he like throws a bucket really hard at Leonard Nimoy, which I looked like was unscripted. Because <laughs> he throws a bucket real hard at him. Nimoy like stumbles out onto the like balcony. He's He's precariously hanging over the seashore and uh what what does uh, john Parrish decide the best way to knock him off this balcony is full full bore wheelchairs uh missile. charge yeah wheelchair missile runs as fast as he can with the wheelchair into again another rickety balcony so he goes right over the end yeah nimoy dives out of the way and poor john Parrish just plummets to his death the beautiful thing about this balcony is like it is a full concrete balcony, but then as soon as he hits it, like the rocks turn into yeah. like foam, like Hollywood studio rocks. You went real explode. fast though, real fast. There's explosives on the front of the wheelchair that just blow through it. <laughs> I mean, my God, what what a way to wrap this up. I mean, from this point forward, like they save the day, they cut out and they're all kind of all like everyone's going their separate ways. The police are closing down the manor for some reason. And... um Nimoy and Michelle are going to go their own separate ways, but suddenly he, he has another vision. Mm-hmm. We got to get the gang back together and head off to France to solve another mystery. Yeah, and they, they imply it's um it's another occult thing. So that seems that's going to be the thread through the series is they're always fighting the occult because that was big in the 70s. Wasn't it Parrish that he had the vision of? The no. Parish, wasn't it? No, it was just some, it was a new guy. It was like, like a, a blind guy. It was a blind guy with a medallion. Oh, I thought it was just like Paris with like a new crippled costume. Oh, you think it's oh, maybe, maybe. Oh, maybe that's the show. He's yeah, Paris is like the Paris the always gets away. The, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, that about wraps it up. Um, I, I'm going to give you a couple little fun facts I looked up about the show, hmm. which uh, which aren't that fun, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, the actress Andrea Glenn was played by uh, Vera Miles. That's right. Yeah. From Psycho, she was uh, the sister, the sister in Psycho, who like spends the entire movie trying to find what happened to her sister. Was and the less popular Psycho too. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a pretty good gift for this movie. There's a couple actors and actresses here that are pretty good, and I think better than the material. Even even Nimoy, I don't know how strong an actor he is because again, I only ever saw him in Star Trek. But th- this material is hard to work with, so you, I think you got to get a little little bit of leeway with these actors for sure. Um, I was looking into the writer a little bit. This uh, Theodore Aspen as. Epstein. Mm-hmm. Um, did you notice that the last movie he ever wrote was called? A, it's called Bloodlink, hmm. and the plot to it is about a man who starts having psychic visions who has to tra- travel to Europe to solve a murder. No way. Yeah. The only difference is the person who's doing the murders is his doppelganger. 
Mm. So he really liked this concept, and he really wanted to go back and take another crack at it in 1982. And I'm looking at right now, this movie's getting, uh, Blood Link's getting a 5.6 out of 10, yeah. what people give it. So that's not that bad. I'd watch it. Blood Link. That brings me up to my next question then, you guys. So obviously we know this did not become a TV series, but like, what, like what's the... What's the plot? Like, what's the story engine? If this show goes to series, what's the story engine of this show? I mean, the, what they set up was, it seems like they're they're dealing with an occult that is going to get deeper and deeper as they go through Europe, like a Europe-spanning show. But I I don't know. I don't know if this The inciting is... incident was the vision. That yeah. was the only thing that... But that was the other thing, too. It wasn't clear why, like, this race car driver was, you know... Why he's in charge? I, why he has to be the guy that has the vision? Here's or what why I think he needs happens to be a race, yeah. on this show: is every week he's on his way to a new European car race, where he happens to have a vision every week. And now I think John Parrish is responsible for every single one. Well, they do mention he mentions at the end he's like, when you think they're going to go off their own ways, and he's like, wait a minute, that vision. He's like, I do have another race in Paris or wherever it is. It's like, oh, so that that is what it's going to be. He just he's never going to give up being a race car driver. Which yeah, I, love. I think we get a race in every episode. Yeah. Uh, until finally he gets to race the devil. Like I think that's how this all culminates. Oh, that's just, that's cool. That's a better title. Race the de- oh, it should have been called yeah. Race the Devil. Yeah. Oh, baffled, you fucked it up. Yeah, Race the Devil! Exclamation <laughs> mark. I like baffled. I felt like that was a apt oh. title for the film. One hundred percent an apt title for the film. All right, you guys, you want to wrap this up? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, typically we rate these shows. Okay. Uh, usually on the IMDb scale of like one to ten stars. Yeah. Do you uh, do you want to give us kind of like a star rating and kind of why you feel that? I'm gonna go three stars. Oh, real low. <laughs> I uh, I enjoyed it for its awfulness. I enjoy. I laughed out loud at scenes that I was not supposed to laugh out loud at, and I found myself trying to rewrite the script while I was watching the film, which always indicates, uh, you know, I would. High quality. Um, yeah, a high quality film. Uh, I, I just was like so curious about like what these script meetings might have been between the I don't writer think, and I don't the think director. there was any script meetings. And like what like did Leonard Nimoy ask no questions when he took this job? Like <laughs> did I think this is just just an example of something where nothing nothing worked. Maybe it was because of the talent or lack thereof of the people working on it. Maybe it was just nothing worked out. Maybe if this was a different cast to be better or they had one more script rewriter or who knows or a better editor. But I just think this is an example where you could pretty much go through everything and nothing works. So oh, yeah. it, it just was a disaster from top to bottom. I really like the image of like this script ending up on Leonard Nimoy's agent's desk and him picking up the phone being like, Leonard, do I got a movie for you? Yeah. It's a student film that's done with Leonard Nimoy and high priced race car scenes for 72. Yeah. Real nice set. That's what mm. <laughs> uh jordan what do you want to give this uh i'm also going to give a very similar score i i I also enjoyed it because it was ridiculous but i had to watch it over two days because it was just mind-numbing i'm giving a 3.5 3.5 yeah i mean i enjoyed watching it for sure i really like probably the first 10 minutes i love the setup the setup i I could i'd watch that go back and watch it over and over again Uh, a few little bits here and there but I, I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give it a four. I'm gonna be a little more generous for some reason. I'm gonna go for a four. Well, the thing is, though, you, you're right. Though the setup is good for it. Again, race car driver who finds he has a secret um, ESP and he sees visions and he solves mysteries. Okay, that's that's ridiculous. That's a show. 
you could watch, but it's almost like they didn't want to commit to it enough. Like they might as well have made it really salacious or really over the top or really ridiculous, but they just didn't want to invest in it. So you end up with this kind of wishy-washy story. Well, what it feels like to me is someone wrote a classic semi-supernatural British whodunit in a mansion. Like there's a, someone's doing something to someone in a mansion using the occult. And then someone else came along and was like, I've got an idea for a rice car driver who's a psychic. And they're like, all right, just uh, shove that in here somehow. Because the two rarely intersect. The two plot lines intersect only like passing. And you could take out any of the lines of the occult and it would just make as much or as little sense as it does. You'd just be like, there's no like, you don't see any scenes of like, you know, devil worship or sacrifices or there's nothing other than a little medallion. It could have just been like, oh, I don't know. Like they could have, this could have been re-edited to be the whole time was Miss Faraday trying to get young. That makes as much sense. I mean, that's a whole plot right there. Yeah. I mean, if you cut out Leonard Nimoy and just have the uh, actress stand up for herself at the end, that could end the movie too. It's fine. Yeah, you don't need Nimoy. It just blows my mind how like no one made any comments on this. Like even with all the, there was a big crew that was, there was a guy there loading the film into the camera. You, you want there the gaffer to be AD. like, wait a minute, guys. This don't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I do. I want someone to be like, but why? Why would this character do this at this point of the movie? Because the gaffer's too busy saying that he's just licking his fingers, counting his money. Am I right? Am I right, gaffers? You know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Where are my gaffers out there? Where's my gaffers out there? With a great non-education. Oh, <laughs> shit. That's right. I said it. Jordan, what's your email so all these gaffers can email you? Uh, it's uh, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I just wanted to uh, say that I'm a huge fan of your guys' show and really thank you both for having me on. It was an honor and it was really fun. Oh, it was a pleasure having you. We were excited yeah. to have you. Yeah, we'll have to pick um, another show from the 1970s that's just as insane for the next time you come by. I I, it shouldn't be it. hard. It shouldn't be hard to find. I mean, is this a high bar for you or a low bar? Or you don't even know where this bar is? I like really, I watched the movie in one sitting. I was thoroughly engaged the whole time. But I was, it's fun. I mean, I think it's fun because you're engaged for reasons that the show doesn't want you to be engaged with. But I couldn't wait to talk about it. Oh, absolutely. It was, uh, I know we gave it low ratings. And I'm not 100% sure I would necessarily recommend you run out and watch it. But I had a good time while I watched it. It's a good movie to have in the background. You're like, what was happening? Just no, I disagree. I think if you have it in the background, like when the craziness, like when the, the illogical stuff happens, like, oh, I must have missed something that led to this being a logical plot point. But the reality is, is no, <laughs> you did not miss anything. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And I like, by the way, I think this was a bit of a mess in terms of I was trying to explain the plot, but it still, it still probably makes more sense than actually watching the movie. I spent a good hour and a half to two hours going through my notes, trying to phase them into a streamline of this plot. It was nearly impossible. <laughs> All right, you guys. Let, let's wrap this up. Will, thanks for coming out. Thank you guys so much Thank for you. having me. <laughs> if you uh, if you want to talk to us some more about Leonard Nimoy and this bizarre baffled show, you can get a hold of us at Gmail uh, at our email, which is continuumdrag at gmail.com. And uh, obviously, Will's been calling out a million things we need to put online from this show. So follow us at Instagram and Twitter at Continuum Reg, and we're definitely going to have like video clips and gifts of some of the crazier stuff from this mm-hmm. show. In the meantime, thanks for joining us, all, all you listeners out there. And uh, Jordan, see you next week. See you next week. Thanks, guys. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Ruxiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, and Dwayne Wright. <laughs>